0: This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com.
1: Today on Bridging the Gap, I am joined by Penny Phillips. Penny is the president and co-founder of Journey Strategic Wealth, an industry speaker and an engaging consulting coach to help grow the industry. That is her passion, impact the financial services industry. Penny and I got into a great conversation surrounding firm structure, practice management, and time management within being a firm leader. We also talked about some best practices to coaching your team and building successful individuals to become leaders. Penny is a thought leader in this space. Our conversation could have gone on for hours, but we decided to focus it in on a few topics to get the most out of them. This is was another fun conversation. I know you will enjoy it. You're going to get so much out of it. So let's jump into the conversation with Penny Phillips.
0: This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner.
1: Penny Phillips, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thanks so much for joining us here today. How's everything going with you and, and all of your business ventures that you're involved with?
0: Gosh, I- I, listen, everything's going great. I mean, I, when people ask me, I always try to give an honest answer. So everything's great from the standpoint of business is good and we're growing and, and grinding. But, you know, it's challenging, too. It's hard running a business and building a business, certainly hard doing it in the midst of a pandemic, which is when we launched. So <laughs> it's been an interesting couple of years.
1: You know it's it's so true, right? I mean, I think everybody always puts on this facade of like everything's so perfect. My life is great. And you know I think that that's some of the challenges that we're all facing in the world today. but I want to get into that. I, I do want to get into kind of the challenges of building and running a business. y'all started in the pandemic. We're gonna get there. But before we do, I mean, I've been really excited to have you on the podcast. I, we We've met a few times. you know, I've followed you for a while. You're just super successful and super involved in the industry, and I'm excited to dig into the coaching aspect, what you see as the industry going forward and, and talking that way. But I'm curious, and I always love to ask people at the beginning of podcasts, podcast, what is your journey to get to where you are, right? It's always a two-step question, right? I want to know about how you got here to where you are today. But then I want to also put you back to when you were you know, 13 or 14 years old. What was it that you wanted to be when you were 13 years old? Was it that you wanted to run an, an RIA and a, an aggregator and be a consultant and a coach? Or... Uh, I just, I find that difficult to believe, but maybe it was. I'm waiting to find that one podcast guest, but tell us first what you wanted to be when you are 13 or 14. And then tell us how you got to this journey to where you are today.
0: Gosh, I wanted to be everything. I, I, so I wanted to be an archeologist slash astronaut when I was, you know, elementary school. And then I wanted to be a investment banker when I was probably 13, 14. And that was, it was a career day and, you know, we were learning about all these different jobs or whatever it was. And I picked the one that made the most money. Obviously, I had no idea what investment bankers did. People know me, know my background. I'm first generation American. My parents are from Greece. Nobody in my family went into any sort of white collar job. So I had no connections to the financial services industry. I had no idea about finance, but I knew I wanted to make money. And that's the reality. I didn't have at the time, you know, a noble purpose around helping advisors, but then wanted to be a lawyer. Very argumentative. I probably would have Done well as a lawyer, but met someone who really changed the trajectory of my, I guess, career or the start of my career, who said, you should go into sales in financial services and and basically said, you should be a wholesaler. I had no idea what that was, but that's actually how I started in this business. I was wholesaling. So I've spent my whole career working with advisors in some capacity, but that was really my first foray into getting to understand and, and see and witness advisors building businesses in very different ways, and I was really fascinated, not at all with selling mutual funds, but with how advisors evolved and, and developed as leaders within their own businesses. And so that, that really started my career, and I, I haven't left that sort of role ever since.
1: It's always awesome to hear how people got into this space, right? It, it just you kind of stumble upon it. But then once you're in it, you 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 find a love for it, right? The impact that can be made, the challenges that are there, right? Still, I think there's so much opportunity for innovation still in this space, still kind of an antiquated industry. So there's so many opportunities there. But you know, you mentioned earlier about how y'all started your firm. In the pandemic, you started Journey Strategic Wealth during the pandemic. And it's been a, it's a challenge to running and building a business. I mean, even when you started in great times, there's a challenge, right? Talk to us about some of those challenges that y'all have faced and how y'all have, y'all have either overcome them or how y'all have strategized to push forward beyond them over time.
0: Well, you just said something that really resonated with me about innovation. And I will say just on the career conversation... The, the the best decision i ever made was to leave the big firms the corporate firms to go out on my own and i i agree there's a lot of room for innovation a lot of the big firms in this industry are not ready for them are not in a place where they can really change the way consultants like myself might want them to change so leaving to do my own thing was the best thing i ever did prior to journey i had launched and ran another business a coaching and consulting business which was challenging in its own right, because it was me trying to build an, a name for myself in the business and doing it not during a pandemic was, was challenging. And then pivoting in January of 2021 to launching Journey. The reason I made the jump, and I will say the one thing that I've always leaned on the past two years, and I think we all have, there's my four partners. Well, there's four founding partners. We have a fifth partner as well, but the four founding partners who really run the business we we just always lean on why we did this and the conviction that we have in changing the industry's perception of what the independent RIA space should be and should look like so I, I know it sounds cheesy but any difficult time that i've had the past 2 years with you know building and growing pains it's remembering why we're doing this and just 100% conviction in the value proposition of what we've built and believe it or not That's really helped sort of push through some of the difficult times. But I will say launching a business and building during a pandemic, I mean, we went from the starting four founders, we're 17 now, office in Summit, New Jersey, office in San Francisco, uh, opening an office in New York City. Uh, We're adding a couple teams at the end of this year. I mean, it's just ridiculous In, in a great way. The challenge is doing it virtually. I mean, you're trying to solve major business challenges around infrastructure and operations and where can we gain margin and where can we be more efficient? And you're trying to do it over freaking seven Zoom calls a day. And so I agree with this idea that we can run virtual businesses and they can be successful. And I've always been a believer in that. But when you're in startup world and you're trying to solve everyday business challenges, being face-to-face with your operations team and collaborating and problem-solving together I would say the most challenging part of this has been trying to be really, really efficient and, and doing it when we're not all in the same room together.
1: It's such an interesting topic because I was just on a podcast yesterday with another leadership expert and we were talking about digital or remote work and like whether it's here to stay and the challenge with building culture remotely, right? And I, And I asked him, I was like, well, are we going to be forever changed. Our culture will forever be lessened because we're going to be now more virtual. And I think it's a really honest challenge. And to your point, is operational efficiency going to be lessened because of virtual play? Or is this just a point in time, right? Are we going to get back to all in the office and being able to whiteboard and strategic or where is the balance? Is there somewhere in the middle? I mean, I'm curious on your perspective because you've been impacted by it pretty directly because you're helping to build these and solve these challenges i'm curious on that because it's hard to solve challenges like you said virtually and if we're always virtual then are we going to be able to solve big challenges right. that we're going to be faced with
0: we i we will never go back to the way it was i i vehemently believe that especially not in our space because for the first time ever i think advisors and by the way our business is we're an aggregator model. So we have our, our home base, we have our anchor firm. Those are my, my two business partners, our advisors. And then we add, we can acquire or not advisory teams across the country, either independent RIAs already or folks that are leaving the independent, the insurance BDs or, or the wirehouses. So we add these teams. So we have this dual challenge of trying to drive culture overall for journey and then helping the our partner firms drive local culture at their individual firms and offices and so for me i think we've done a phenomenal job of culture i think a lot of that has to do with leadership not saying i'm an amazing leader but what i'm saying is if you believe fundamentally that you can build a culture virtually like one thing that i used to work on with advisors when i was coaching them was belief systems so many of the baby boomer advisors in our business had these old belief systems and structures about like millennials are lazy and i mean as simple as it sounds like that is a belief system that will impact the way you lead the way you feel on a day-to-day basis so if you believe that people cannot work from home because they're fundamentally lazy and when they're home they'll be watching you know netflix every single thing that bothers you about your employees will be reinforced through that belief system so sort of going down a rabbit hole here. But my point is, if you have leaders who really believe that you can build a culture and you don't have to be face-to-face, and if everybody's in agreement about objectives and key results, so what we're trying to achieve and how we know we're achieving them, like that's how we run the firm. I don't need to know what hours people work. Some of our team members go to the gym in the morning, some snowboard in the morning, some like to work late at night does not matter to me. We are very clear on what we have to do, response times, getting back to our advisors, etc. our core meetings every week. But other than that, we run a completely flexible culture and I will tell you it works. However, we believe 100% in that business model. I've mm. seen the friction when advisors don't want to let go of, God, we all need to be in the office that's when it's it's problematic and and the culture becomes a culture i think of a, a lot of resentment versus like be who you are you're free to work how you want and 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 it works for us so
1: it's the autonomy mi- mindset right like give autonomy if you give if you believe in your people you you hire right people you give autonomy then they're going to reach goals beyond what you can imagine and you mentioned something there with the belief system and and i think that that leads to a really interesting question because you've helped consult people many advisors, many firms. And you when, it, when you go in and consult, you're, you're consulting on change, right? There's change that has to be happening. And changing a belief system is really tough. Changing a process is still really tough, but a little bit easier. I'm curious to see hear what you have seen to be successful, to help people navigate that challenge of change, changing beliefs or changing processes? What have you seen work? Because I think that that's what's holding back so many firms is an inability to change.
0: Uh, Yes, completely agree. I also think in our business with the bigger firms, it's, I'll give you an example. So I've, I've noticed that I've consulted and coached at large institutions where The advisors are ready for change. And by the way, I don't think everybody's coachable. So I will say a percentage of the advisors are ready for change, meaning their business has been disrupted enough by either the changing consumer or clients leaving them or clients pointing out something about their business model that's antiquated. Like They've been disturbed enough, or they just simply feel like they're tired of doing the same thing over and over. They've been disturbed enough when they're ready for the change. The challenge is these big institutions, it was so frustrating for me as a consultant because they, they all say they want to change. Like We want to be modern, want to help our advisors grow, want to help our advisors be true wealth management leaders, but they're not willing to do the hard stuff, change contracts, change the way local leaders are compensated, which by the way, they're compensated in some of the bigger institutions on new business and quantity of new business with under five-year advisors. So If you're not willing to change that we don't even have to talk about belief systems like the business we know where the margin on the business comes from and where you make most of your money so if a consultant's coming in to disrupt that guess what it's it's not going to happen so i think and getting around to your your question what's happened is advisors have recognized that perhaps it's time to leave and do their own thing and be independent But as a consultant and coach, there are still so many belief systems you have to unravel with advisors about who they are as business owners. I mean, for so long, the industry has been telling advisors to be successful, you need to transition at some point to be CEO. I I think we've made a big mistake as an industry pushing that narrative. And that's a belief system that I've worked a lot on with advisors. Like, who do you really want to be in the business? And it's part of why we launched Journey, just because of the belief that there are advisors who want to be advisors. So, uh, I mean, a long-winded answer, but there's so much to that I,
1: question. Well, I love that. I mean, you, and you also pick something up and I, there's a few different areas that I touched on, but you just said something that was really intriguing and that I want to dig into it for a second is that the narrative that the industry has been pushing is that if you want to continue to grow, you've got to move your seat from being an advisor to being an operator, a CEO, right? Uh, kind of business sized your business. And I've been one of those that have talked about that in, Me too. in all honesty. <laughs> and, and so I'm curious to hear how, how is that different, right? If the advisor just wants to be an advisor, is the solution to go and partner up with a, a, a firm like yours, right? Uh, like a journey, journey, strategic wealth or an aggregator? Because it's hard, I think, and maybe I'm wrong here and I'd like your opinion, is that uh, it's hard to be an owner of a business and still be the tactician, unless you are open to giving someone else control. I guess that's the only other option. So I'm curious on how that's, uh, how do we go against that grain in the narrative for those people that don't want to be CEO, but want to be owner?
0: That's, That's such a good point. And I think you're touching on something really that is the basis of sort of all coaching conversations I've ever had with advisors. It's about control. And by the way, as a business owner multiple times, like you don't have to talk to me about control. I completely get it. But a lot of times it's about where is ego coming into play and just like sort of the perception and reinforcing these belief systems that the industry has told us we need to hang on to versus like what you actually want to be doing. And so the answer is, I mean, it's it comes with the advisor first having like really honest conversations with themselves about what they want to do and what they don't want to do and deconstructing what success looks like and what how they define success. And we know this, Matt. It, most advisors that we know came into the business not because they wanted to first of all, most of them don't know what a CEO's role actually is. It's it has nothing to do with advising clients or, you know, rainmaking. Most of them didn't come into the business to be a, a C-suite executive of a company. They came into the business because they're really skilled at several things. Connecting with people, delivering financial services, being strong technicians. And so when you really give advisors permission, and the pandemic did this, for the first time ever, advisors, I think, feel okay with this idea of maybe I want to run a lifestyle practice, and maybe that's not a bad thing. And by the way, for anyone listening, from my perspective, lifestyle practice versus enterprise simply means, lifestyle practice simply means you want to be primarily responsible for. Revenue generation and advising clients, because that's what you really like to do. This concept that every advisor needs to make themselves replaceable, maybe at one point that was a thing they really needed to worry about. but in the independent space now, with all of the firms and options that have emerged for advisors who are uh, about to enter into uh, the retirement phase, you you actually don't have to do that. and I know that's sort of maybe controversial, but the industry's consolidated. Part of that's because of private equity money that's come into the space. But what it's created is a lot of options for advisors to simply tuck in, double down on what they like to do and not have to make decisions about custodial agreements, negotiating basis point, you know, fees that you're paying to platforms. And and when I ask advisors, like, what do you still want to maintain control over? It's almost never compliance compliance contract negotiation deciding how to increase somebody's bonus year over year so you can maintain control over brand over client relationships over leading the organization but you don't have to maintain control over the decision points that you don't like to decide on anyway
1: mm-hmm. so that's
0: the nuanced difference
1: you know it's it, it's a matter of you know you said it earlier is like understand what you want to do and and a lot of the early founders came in just wanting to serve clients. And I I mean, I can relate. I work in a family business. My dad started one of our firms and he started just by serving clients. And we grew so big that we needed operational infrastructure. And he just became naturally the CEO, but that wasn't what he desired. Mm. And uh, he didn't really enjoy it. And once we were able to move those responsibilities off and get him back into the right seat, which was serving clients, he then became happier, more, more efficient, more productive. and But he also had to get understanding of what he wanted to do and being willing to give up control. Correct. If you're willing to give up control, not necessarily in ownership necessarily, but in terms of day-to-day responsibilities and you believe in someone else on an operational standpoint, it can be amazingly beautiful of what can happen in your side of your firm.
0: It's life-changing. And I'm not just saying that. I've, I mean, I've seen it as a consultant now as a a, running a business for advisors. By the way, putting my money where my mouth is. I mean, I've been telling advisors and and sort of talking to them about what's coming in the business and what's possible. Now building it, it's absolutely incredible when advisors hit that point where they say, "You know what? Maybe success means something different at this point of my career. Maybe being the person actually building the business and having to hire people and figure out sequence of hire like." Maybe that's not my best use of time. When, we've tried to strike this balance between flexibility and support and making decisions with the advisor. Once they do that, it's unbelievable what happens to them. And I think that's the beauty of what we're doing. I mean, the industry is in a very interesting point right now where there are a lot of firms just trying to transact. They just want to buy the businesses, buy the firms coming out of you know UBS or wherever, And for us, there's so much more satisfaction in what's your best life. And that's, I mean, that's why we name the company Journey. It's, again, maybe sort of cheesy for people, but like, this is about the advisor's journey as much as it is about the client's journey. And so this idea of what does success mean to you? Like we have those conversations with clients. The industry should be having those conversations with advisors without any preconceived notion about what the right model is for them right? When we say to them, what does success mean to you? We're trying to have these conversations about getting them into the CEO mindset. Like, let's forget about that and let them be what they're really good at.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really focus on, you know, it's the right person, right seat mentality. That's what it's all about. And I I think, you know, when you let's, I want to shift gears for a second and, and start thinking about the future of our industry. We've gone through so much change. I mean, heck in the past two years, you know everybody's saying, well, we've been fast forward ten years in the past two years because of the pandemic, right? And in this industry, though, is is going through a G one to G two switch. We talk about the wealth transfer, which is going to bring more families, not only necessarily transfer of money, but more families that are going to have money that are going to need help. And and then you think about what is happening on wealth tech with the orions of the world. You know they're buying up a lot of people and invest nets. And then you think about the aggregators, right? The high towers, the uh, the Mariners, etc. What does the future look like in our industry, right? I feel like we went from warehouse to independent, and now we're going kind of to an independent warehouse model with the aggregators. What does it look like for the advisory business? What does it look like for the client? I be, I, I'm wondering from your perspective what do you see?
0: Yeah, it's such a good question, and you're absolutely right. We've gone we're almost going full circle, and I talk about this all the time. Anybody who follows me on social media, I'm very critical of some of what's happened in the business where we have these large RIAs that literally look and feel exactly like a wirehouse. I mean, also the folks are five years out from being at a warehouse and that have simply reconstructed the model and are, are trying to sell advisors on, you know, independence and freedom. And so it's, it's sort of bullshit, but I, you know, but uh, sorry, it's sort hey, of BS. It, we, yeah. we're,
1: we're open-minded on this podcast. <laughs> we love it all. We love, we love authenticity.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we're at an interesting point. and I think look, the future of the business, we've been talking about this as consultants for the past ten years, and I think the pandemic ex- exacerbated things we already knew. Like everybody talks about everything changed, like not really. I mean, we've we've sort of known w- what's coming. I think what's changed is advisors being able to imagine different business models. But we've seen a lot of money pour into the space, obviously. Big firms like the recurring revenue model, they see how you know profitable these businesses could be. And so we've seen mass consolidation. And that's not just in the independent space, it's in the fintech space. I mean, we went from all of these individual players trying to build, you know, a widget or solve a very specific problem to now firms trying to solve every problem across the you know wealth management spectrum. And the the positive side is that when you have a firm owning all of the data. Just gr- greater efficiency is possible, right? The downside is you reduce choice from the advisor. So firms like us now have to make a decision: do we go with a CRM that Orion now owns, or do we stick with the provider that we actually really like? And so we, it's it actually reduces our own, I think, choice. You know, but the other thing it does is, and here's this may be a little bit controversial, but it, this this is a commentary on both the consolidation in the RIA space and and in fintech? Are we really doing it for the client and the advisor? Are we doing it because everybody wants to make money and IPO at some point? And let's be honest, if you're in the business, you understand how this works. Everybody's trying to make money. The challenge is, and I've said this before, we start to move away from the needs and desires of the advisor and the client which is why we're in the business to begin with and it's a really sort of delicate balance and i think i just think we need to get back to like what are the needs of the advisor and the client i've seen a lot of these tech firms i mean great example like a lot of the major tech players in let's say the financial planning aspect or investment management or rebalancing they haven't really changed their interface or anything about their tech build for the past 10 years. I mean, I I have been using some of these same tools since I was at New York Life 13, 14 years ago. They look and feel exactly the same. So these firms are really concerned with sort of making their firms more desirable for the ultimate sort of sale or merger versus Mm -hmm. like making it more making it better for the advisor in terms of user experience or the client. So I just think we're going to continue to see that because there's too much money to be made. And that might be a controversial opinion, but that is the honest truth of what's happening. Now what's also happening is it's become very difficult to run businesses. Like that's simplifying it, but it's become really cumbersome and costly to build and run, you know, RIAs. I mean, I don't recommend advisors under a certain AUM levels start their own RIA? Why take on the risk? Why take on the P&L you know, burden of the tech and the infrastructure and compliance and HR and, and all of this stuff? And so that's what's also fueled consolidation is firms are realizing we could do it cheaper, we could do it better, we can allow advisors to spend less time doing this stuff if we consolidate together. And that's why we're seeing So much activity. It's part of why we're seeing it. And I just think we're going to continue to see that. The independent space is going to end up being a couple big players and then solopreneurs. The wirehouses are going to be salaried advisors, plus a couple of large ensembles, like the big, large players that are allowed to stay getting paid per production as they always have. And the insurance BD space is going to be who who the hell knows what's going to happen to that space. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I think I mean I have opinions on it, but a continued well, consolidation.
1: That, yeah, I mean, I think that your point is spot on, and I think you know where the change happens. I mean, everybody's going to go and try to make a profit for their investors and for their founders, and they they're always in it to to make a buck, which then tends to leave, even though we always have the the intentions to be for the client and for the advisor the line to profitability and the line to return roi for you as an owner or you as an investor is different at times and i think that where that can change my perspective is is that can change if the industry internally starts to innovate more and desires mm. more right i think that we tend to go with the flow and so we'll just hop on to the the all in one solutions etc but if the industry determines that which i believe is necessary that the client experience is can, is what's going to differentiate us all, right? Investment management is is commoditized. So everybody needs to have an interesting or unique client experience. And that's going to start with technology and how you use it. And the advisor is going to want to be in control of that. And being an all-in-one solution, they're not going to be in control of that. So they're going to have to continue to push harder on trying to get more innovative solutions that are by themselves that they can put together and build their own unique client experience. I think that that's where it may start from is internally, potentially.
0: It's a really good point because for a long time, we, and when I say we, I'm talking industry as a whole, not me and you. But I think the industry, again, like we pushed this narrative of digital advisors, you know, the digital advice landscape is going to replace the advisor and you need to be scared of, you know, instead of saying the future is technology as a reinforcement of value proposition because the human ultimately is the value proposition. And so, we like firms weren't thinking about how do i integrate potentially and i mean there's a lot of issues with integrating robos into a direct to consumer model or b2b model but instead of thinking that way we were immediately thinking about oh my god like we need to draw a hard line and and you know between us and and, and this side of the business and the reality is is that robos never didn't obviously didn't replace the advisor what it did do though is it taught us something about how important it is to articulate to the client the difference between wealth management and investment management. Mm. And so to your point around, around innovation, like how do we use technology to reinforce the fact that we deliver wealth management, we don't do, just deliver investment management, Like that's where we need to be thinking. I, I also am really interested in this concept of, because I think this is the future, using technology to drive and influence communities within a firm. And if you look at what happened during the pandemic with Reddit and AMC and, you know, literally people coming together on an app or a thread and influencing each other to make investment decisions. I mean, it, it wasn't about the stock or whatever it was, like BlackBerry or whatever people were investing in, the, Yo- the YOLO stocks, as they say. It was about the idea that technology, this is what technology can do. It can bring 11 million people together. That's how many people are in, were in the Reddit Wall Street WallStreetBets thread to, juice, to, to, to come together and feel like they're sticking it to the man. Because that's what it really was about. People coming together and feeling like they had power and so I just think that's an interesting concept that we haven't thought about. Like, How do we use technology to not have our clients form a union against us, but, but come together and influence each other in positive ways? And I, I just think every time we talk about innovation, you get on these industry webinars, it's like, we, we need to innovate and we need innovation. And then it's like, okay, you get to the end of the webinar. It's like, okay, they haven't told us how they're going to actually do it or what the right. idea is. So... <laughs> Ugh, I'm on a rant. It
1: is, it is so true. I want to I, I want to close out by touching on this idea of community, and then we'll we'll transition and let you get back to, to building your business and and spending your day. <laughs> um, the the idea of building community, I think, is such an interesting topic. And I think from inside the industry, I think people have been worried about it because having clients talk to each other and and too much information flowing and not being able to control that information because we know what happens to people when they. Act on just information, too much information, access to information causes bad decision making. And so one of the values of an advisor is to help to kind of filter that a little bit and help guide them in their psychological challenges that we all have. How can we take those two points? Because I do believe in community, right? We should build greater communities. We can have greater impact and filter into more areas. But but challenges is that people were buying AMC and a lot of people lost a lot of money doing that. Yep. And how do we balance those two, right? Like, how do we get to that point in your mind on this innovate? Because I think it's super innovative, but how do we kind of balance those two areas from that standpoint?
0: And and by the way, I'm also thinking about it from the standpoint of, and we've seen it work with like, just look at Facebook groups. I mean, mm. point, point blank, like, or Twitter communities that have formed. I, I think, it, and I'm thinking about it from, Advisors can grow their businesses by having people who are like-minded and love them come together and, sh- you know, share ideas and get to know each other like that. It's, it's clearly like a way to also generate new business. But I think we balance it by being clear about what the objective is. I mean, the, the objective is to allow people with, who psychographically are similar, meaning they're they similar in terms of how they make decisions Similar in terms of how they deal with challenges in their life. For example, like, and I'm thinking about it for myself, imagine, it's sort of ironic because I'm a client of my own firm, but long-term vision is like, imagine having millennial female executive clients being able to engage with each other about money challenges, things that we face as entrepreneurs. I mean, I get that from like mastermind groups and study groups, but like, Imagine the advisor curating these discussions. There's something very powerful about facilitating discussions where people are being vulnerable and sharing challenges and helping each other find solutions and it may have nothing to do with financial services or how you're ultimately investing your money or making decisions. but like how powerful would that be if I'm talking about you know imposter syndrome and buying my my summer house and all the issues and Internal struggles that come along with that decision, with other people that relate to that. I, I think the advisor can play a great role in facilitating that, and technology can fuel that. I just don't think we're there yet, and maybe we need to train advisors on having higher EQ, and maybe that's a place to start.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love that, and I see that vision right as you were talking. I was thinking about this idea of you know even if like for retirees, like an advisor that focuses on retirees, like. Create yes. a community of these retirees talking about where they're traveling. Yes. What did they learn? Like, what where did they visit? What did they? How did they find a deal on a on a new flight out to the city? Do they want to go on a group trip together? Right, that is a really cool so community, and and it connects clients to the advisor, and they're going to bring other prospects in because there's nobody else that's doing it. It is a true growth engine potential if done right.
0: Maybe we should work on this offline because this is like the, the other thing is like you will never leave if you have ties to a community or it's very hard to leave if you're tethered to people that you form bonds with and that's why people don't leave advisors but imagine that times you know 10 interesting it becomes concept. exponential
1: it, exactly. it becomes exponential right exactly every new right. client adds another you know another element to the to the relationship and a stickiness i i love it i'm super interested. We can talk about it offline. I'd love to kind of love ideate on that. I think it's a really interesting idea that you posed. But I want you to get back to building your great business because you're doing some phenomenal things. I'm Thank super uh, appreciative of you joining. But before I let you go, I have to ask you the two common questions I ask all of my, my guests on Bridging the Gap. And the first one is because I, these conversations are more for exposing other people, but also in a good way, but also for me to learn. I love to have conversations to learn, and it's easy to do it over podcasting but I also love learning via books and I like to learn from smart people that are reading good books. So I'm always interested, what's one of those books that either you've recently read or that's just kind of one of your classics that you think that everybody should read to help them learn a little bit more? Uh,
0: by the way, you would not be impressed with what I'm reading now. I read murder mysteries and that's what gets me I through love the, that. the week. Yeah, love not, nothing groundbreaking, I, but I, I'll, I'll give a more intentional answer. The Alchemist was, is a book that I recommend everybody read as well as The Four Agreements. The Four Agreements probably had the biggest impact on me personally than anything I've ever read or listened to. Very simple book, just changes your perspective on how you engage with the world. From a technical business standpoint, I would say if you're in this business and are ever thinking about practice management, the power of practice management is like my holy grail. So I would say The Alchemist to Think Deep Four Agreements to Change Your Life, Power of Practice Management to Run a Powerful Business.
1: Gosh, that's incredible. I asked for one, you gave us three. That's incredible. <laughs> that's, it's so that's, indicative of that's, me.
0: That's, yeah, I can't that's life-changing. You. <laughs> I like it.
1: Um, I like it. All right, and then the last question, they always comes from Barron's Conferences. They always ask their guests when they're on the panel. And I, I thought it was just so great, so I picked it up for us, is what's one piece of actionable advice you think listeners should take away from our conversation here today?
0: If you've been waiting for this moment, I am giving you permission to rethink about who you want to be in your own business and letting you know that there's nothing that the industry's told us about business structure or who you are or W-2 versus 1099 that is right or wrong. You get to decide what success looks like. And now is the time, I think, for everybody to really reevaluate and do that.
1: I love that. I love that. Penny Phillips, you're amazing. You're Me an too. inspiration and oh, also just instrumental on the industry. So thank you so much for taking time to join us on Bridging the Gap. And I know there's other people that are going to be listening that want to continue to follow you and everything you're doing and get insights from you. So what's the best way or how do people follow you, stay in touch with you, get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, I'm very active on Twitter. Penny Phillips, uh, Thrivos LLC is my, hash, uh, my username. <laughs> uh, Penny Phillips on LinkedIn. Penny Phillips on YouTube. Yeah. Just Google my name. You'll find me somewhere.
1: <laughs> I love it. Penny Phillips, you're the best. Thank you so much. Thank Have a great rest you. of your week and day. And we'll talk soon.
0: Yeah. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.